How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. That was really nice. I, 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 I'm, I've been trained now. No, Ben. I, I thought I was trained to like wait until the end I of the thought applause. You were trained too. I really was. And then Ben pulls one of those moments. Long, long clapping sensations. Puts, puts in an extra one. Well, it's always so, about the extra effort, guys. It's he so was feeling as though there was some room for an extra applause that today. That was wonderful. He wanted wonderful. to make you feel more valuable. I, my oxytocin is going up. Going up, going up. Uh, just to say, I, I had an oxytocin moment this Let's morning. Let's talk about it. It was incredible, incredible. Uh, we were honored uh, to be part of the Celebrating Recovery Breakfast in Lowell. It's an annual thing. That it's, it's this absolutely wonderful uh, group of people from the Lowell House Addiction Treatment and Recovery. Um, they've got some amazing people there, really, really on the front line of making sure that, that folks who have substance use are given the right care out in the community. So adolescents and young adults and older adults live in these lovely homes where they are really given the support that they need and we were so honored drug story theater uh, got to present today as part of this including uh, we were sort of the lead-in for Stephen Kennedy Smith who is a remarkable man who's had some significant losses uh, of his own through substance use and overdoses and you know what the Kennedys have been through um, and Drugstore Theater was there and we got to present a little bit of our new video because you know we have a, a video of one uh -huh. of our shows that we're going to be rolling out soon uh, and just talking with uh, with these movers and shakers who were out there in the audience bless you Mark <laughs> thank you I don't know if people could hear Mark sneeze but Mark <laughs> is here today feeling not so great and I really appreciate you coming in you yeah my I am not at the uh, at the maximum potential right now yeah, but I'm doing I'm doing the best I can you know it's your I am the biological domain probably some viruses in, invaded and said I'm now taking over mm. I thought it was the uh, I thought it was the annual ragweed allergies but I think it's uh, I, I don't believe that's accurate anymore no no you think you had a cold I believe so, yes. Oh, I hope you feel better. So for those that I walked into in the last couple of days saying, no, no, don't worry, it's just allergies, uh, <laughs> I apologize in advance. <laughs> yes, spread that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, you know, still an I am. So did you guys present? Did you actually um, put part of your theatrical troupe out there on stage and, and do some of your new? Uh, show or no? What we, we, we the theatrical group were out there. So Heather was there, Melvin yeah. was there, Emily was there, and Kathy, who is uh, Heather's grandmother, and they were all up on stage answering some questions. It's just so wonderful the way Drug Street Theater uh, really exemplifies the I Am approach. We we don't really talk about the I Am approach at Drug Street Theater, but it is it's just showing how it can work because here are these kids. Many of them have had home domains where they had substance use in their parents. Uh, 
Uh, many of them have had social domains where there were all these social pressures because they felt inadequate and they felt depressed or they felt anxious and as a result they chose to use drugs because they uh -huh. needed some form of pleasure and you know you know if you use drugs or alcohol before the age of 18 you have this ridiculously high chance of lifelong addiction and unfortunately these kids were were in those one in four one in 25 if you start using after the age of 21 one in four if you start using before the age of 18 can you imagine that one in four kids at risk for lifelong addiction if you start using before the age of 18 and of course all the kids in our program did and then um stephen kennedy smith was showing a preview of the movie that he has helped to make looking at people coming out of prison who had substance use conditions uh and uh, how they are trying to manage their lives and the inspiration that they're trying to bring to other people um the other remarkable thing was the way we started learning more and more about how the loss of a parent uh, puts a kid at enormous risk, enormous risk for substance use, really? but all sorts of things. Yeah, the early, you know, the, so parents are important, important to your kids. Uh -huh. um, it was really, it was, it was a great experience. I really learned a lot, met some wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to Kathleen, uh, my chief operating officer, who really has... She's made such a commitment and is such a believer in, in the mission, and she's putting all these things together. So i got a great team of people. Yeah, you do. Really do. Mm. And Mark, you're right in there. Right in there. Tom, you too. Ben, all part of a team. And, and, and that's what it is. Community. We, we are forming a community that is determined to make this difference, these small changes. And what's the biggest change? The biggest change is just reminding people of their value. Right. It's the, it, it seems so silly when you think about it. It seems so simple, and yet it is so powerful. I truly believe that as a social animal, we have this capacity to make people feel really valuable. But unfortunately, we're really good at making them feel terrible as well. And that's what I mean. You control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose. That's part of what you get to choose, folks. You get to choose how you want to influence other people. And I just want you to really consider what would it mean if every day you said one extra thank you to someone, one extra thank you that shows gratitude. That gratitude reminds someone of their value and their oxytocin level is going to go up in their brain. They're going to then potentially just feel better. Right. And when you feel better, it changes your interactions with the rest of the social domain, your home domain. It's having an effect on your biological domain. And then your IC, how you see yourself, how you think other people see you, it changes. And you recognize that you matter. I am. I matter. And you guys do matter. But how many times do we think the opposite? How many times do we go through a day, think I'm not good enough, mm. should have done better, and that we're being judged by other people as not being good enough, not doing well enough, not being valuable? Ah, and yet it's so simple to change it. I mean, I, I just saw it today. I saw it today with the Drug Street Theater kids. They're up there sharing what's going on with them, the courage it takes to share your secrets, 
Secrets aren't secrets because of what we've done. Secrets are secrets because we worry, how will someone judge me if they know my secret? And these kids are up there saying, you know what? This was my I am. They may never use those words, but they know that they have value. They know that what they were going through was the best they could do at that point, that that's part of why they were using drugs or alcohol, but they are taking responsibility for it, which is different than being blamed for it. Responsibility is empowering, and that's what these kids are doing. I'm so proud of them. So proud of all of them. It's awesome. It is so awesome. really is. Today, we've got uh, a real shift in Mm -hmm. our show. We're, We're really focusing a little bit more on the biological domain in some ways, but how it affects the home and social domains. We're talking um, with Dr. Greenblatt, who's going to be calling in, to talk about the use of lithium, lithium in Alzheimer's. Oh and really? Yeah, it's it's really it's is so that, interesting is to that me. New? Uh, it's pretty new. This the, his, because his, lithium's typically used to balance out bipolar disorder, it, right? Exactly right. Disorder. Ah, uh, uh, did I say that? You did. It's, it just I happens. Didn't mean to. No, it's part of our vernacular. Uh, We've got to move away from disorder, folks. Remember. Bipolar symptoms. Yeah, bipolar condition. You know. Remember, if if you have a disorder, it automatically stigmatizes you, right. and all of a sudden you've got one group that is ordered and one group that is isn't is That's not right. ordered is disordered and all of a sudden we're we're astonished that people don't want to come out and get help it's those words that were just ingrained in us for years and years that yeah yeah it's challenging yeah but we're going to do it we're going to do it one dr joe show at a time take those words out of the language right yeah take them right out of the dictionary and and you know it's starting to happen it really is so many of my colleagues oh that that sounds like a, a zoom person coming in we have uh, our guest uh, in virtual in studio. Stu- in studio. Sitting here. Right here on Zoom, Dr. Greenlet. Thank you so much for being part of the Dr. Joe Show. Welcome. Thank you. Very good. Happy to be part. Dr. Greenblatt, um, you, you have some very interesting ideas here about integrative medicine. Can you just tell us what is integrative medicine? Integrative medicine is is just a way of looking at every biological, psychosocial, lifestyle intervention that's going to help our patients uh, suffering uh, or in with psychiatric or mental illness. So, as an integrative psychiatrist, I use prescriptions every day, but I'm also looking at nutritional deficiencies and excesses of heavy metals like copper and lead, all trying to improve uh, the functioning uh, of the brain. Huh. So, again, from, from an IM point of view, what we're really looking at is major, major focus, as I said, on the biological domain right now, but how it then impacts on the home domain, the social domain, and how a person sees themselves. And you have come out with a book... Um, that's that's talking about using nutritional lithium as a way to is it to really treat or even prevent Alzheimer's? Yes, I've been uh, fascinated with lithium uh, prior to even going to medical school. I learned from a integrative uh, medicine doctor, Jonathan Wright, about a nutritional lithium and its role uh, in, in brain health. And, and the original research was all in uh, suicide. 
uh, suicide prevention. So very tiny amounts of lithium in the drinking water, and this has been studied in 20 plus countries, correlated with suicide risk. So higher levels of drinking water, lithium in the drinking water, lower levels of suicide risk. Huh. And then uh, newer research over the past 20 years, individuals are looking at similar um, epidemiological stuff, higher lithium in the water, lower Alzheimer's rates. Mm-hmm. And now scientists have started looking at low-dose lithium as a preventative tool in kind of arresting the development of Alzheimer's. Okay, we, we've got to dig deeper really? into this. Okay, so w- why? Why do they think lithium? And lithium is, you guys know, on the periodic table, lithium is in the same category as sodium. It's just a salt. Well, we can go back 13.8 billion years if you <laughs> want. So Big Bang. Yes, 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 uh, please, let's. It's one of the first three elements, hydrogen, helium, and lithium. And it was settled in the Earth as the Earth was formed. And it is essential for brain function. And the if you look at the mechanisms of how lithium works, it is um, really endless. I mean, and, and the mechanisms, some are complicated, some are regulating neurotransmitters, but many of them are very similar to the mechanisms that biotech are looking at in terms of developing billion-dollar drugs for Alzheimer's. One mechanism is, uh, you know, this GSK3 inhibitor. Um, So there are biotech firms around the world looking at GSK3 inhibitors for the treatment of Alzheimer's. And I listened to one talk uh, and they started the presentation that lithium is a known GSK3 inhibitor. And, and that is, you know, a current model for treatment of Alzheimer's. And, and how is GSK3 involved in a, What is GSK3? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so uh, GSK3 is an enzyme that helps, um, uh, you know, recycle and get rid of the, both the amyloid um, proteins. So lithium is engaged in um, <coughs> breaking down and recycling the waste, hmm. as well as um, you know what's called um, you know the autophagy, breaking down cells that are no longer needed. So it has a many kind of unique functions, both anti-inflammatory, antioxidant. As, as well as some of these um, very specific key roles in enzyme formation. Interesting. So autophagy, just so people know, auto uh, is, how, how would you say, is automatic and, and phages eat. So if these are ways that we get rid of cells is by eating them or get rid of waste, basically, right? Right. So. It's, it's a mechanism, you know, a house cleaning mechanism, you know, in the brain. Yeah. Because our brain is just like any other part of our body is making waste all the time. It's it's got to you know it's basically like a little town. All the cells are little towns, and they have all these little factories that are making products that they then use. And then there's a waste, and then there's some things to get rid of the waste. So that's interesting. And 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 you know just for just for folks uh, education about amyloid. You want to just say why is why do we think amyloid is involved in Alzheimer's? Well, I guess the truth is we're not sure. Mm. You know, I think that um, we as a 
pharmaceutical uh, nation has spent billions of dollars looking to treat this uh, amyloid, this, this protein that, that develops and gets stuck in the synapse in the brain. Um, but we have patients who, you know, die and have lots of amyloid and don't have Alzheimer's. So it's a complicated is am, amyloid uh, protein that accumulates in the synapse of the brain. Is that is that cause or just an effect? And, and some people see it just as an effect of inflammation. Um, so we don't really know. But again, when you go through this list of mechanisms that are all outlined in the book, one of the mechanisms that um, trace amounts of lithium uh, has been shown to do is kind of help decrease the amyloid protein. Because it's getting rid of waste, helping to activate this enzyme that gets rid of waste. Correct. Okay. So let, let's let's just go through this a little bit for our listeners because, you know, we have listeners from all over the world who have various degrees of education and medicine, certainly. But what they're really interested in is why we do what we do. And so I just want to pivot for a moment and ask you, how did you get interested in this? You told us a little bit about, you know, early exposure, but why, why this area for you personally? Specifically the nutritional lithium? No, no, just in, in, in general, the, 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 the lithium, but also becoming a physician and, and getting interested in psychiatry and, and this particular area. What, what grabbed you? Well, I, I originally uh, looking at uh, pe- career in pediatrics, working with children. I think I got a little bored with, um, you know, ear infections and antibiotics. I was more interested in the kids that the uh, stomach aches, wouldn't go to school, and so became a child psychiatrist. And as a psychopharmacologist, quickly realized that, you know, symptomatic-based treatments weren't getting at the underlying cause. And that's what took me on this journey of what I'm now calling integrative medicine, trying to find root causes. And, and sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. I still prescribe medicines every day, but so many of my patients were, were understanding the role of the gut, were understanding the role of nutritional deficiencies. And it's not one camp or another, you know, it's not alternative medicine to look at a B12 level. Um, and, and lithium just became something that uh, just fascinated with. And, and one of the most helpful tools that I've used in my practice from pharmaceutical dosages to what we're calling microdoses. Hmm. Um, and uh, Alzheimer's just became kind of a research interest from the outgrowth of me using lithium in my practice for 30 years. And what have you found using microdoses of lithium? Well, I found a lot. I, I believe no research to support it, but 33 years of clinical experience that, that like most other nutrients and most other things in life, we all have individual needs. And those families um, with uh, family histories of bipolar, uh, substance abuse, uh, suicide, uh, I believe likely has higher need for lithium. And again, average dose is about a milligram a day that we get from our water and higher dose 
uh, requirements for me are usually between one and five milligrams. So what I've seen clinically is the most dramatic response to low dose lithium is improvement in uh, irritability. Hmm. And that has been uh, very consistent from uh, young kids um, to adults to individuals struggling with uh, substance abuse. So the lithium that's in the water, is it just naturally in our water or is that something like a fluoride treatment? No, no, it's, it's naturally in our water. And I've been doing lithium tests. We can test for lithium based on our hair tests, our hair levels. You know, you, you see uh, drugs being tested out of the hair, but lithium uh, minerals come out in the hair. And I've been looking at the same test for 30 years. And I believe since we started being obsessed with this uh, billion dollar bottled water industry, we see a lot more individuals with undetectable lithium in their hair samples. Whoa, that's Because really people aren't drinking tap water anymore. Correct. Well, it's a theory. It's interesting. Now, would you recommend that everybody have a healthy dose of lithium every morning with their breakfast? I would recommend, and that's the theme of the book, that for those kind of worried about brain health um, over a certain age, and we can pick it depending on the day, 40 or 50, and yes, a small amount of lithium um, seems to be both beneficial. If someone has a family history of, uh, of bipolar, substance abuse, then a slightly higher dose of lithium. I don't think every 20 or 30 year old who does not have symptoms um, would need to take lithium. And you don't think it's potentially prophylactic that if you, you know, begin to, you know, create a baseline lithium level, uh, you're potentially going to improve the enzymatic component that you're talking about, the the way that we get rid of waste and or just weight. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole theory of of the book. And and yes, the longer one can take it particularly at the lower dosages, I, I believe the more effective it will be. And what about, um, you know, because we know that in, in higher doses, lithium can certainly affect kidneys and thyroid. What about at these lower doses? Well, at these lower doses, we get um, no blood level. Right. And, um, you know, uh, out of thousands of patients, I might have had two side effects. One was a doctor who said she felt too calm. <laughs> and the other one was an adolescent who just said, they felt a little funny um, in their head. So uh, these low doses, very few side effects. Let's see, no effect on kidney or thyroid function. Fascinating. And and with the low dose, with your breakfast that we're talking about, this this is potentially helping you curb what may be the effects of Alzheimer's? Uh, it, it's pretty clear that, um, well, we know, well, let's start with the pharmaceutical. Lithium. We know bipolar patients... <laughs> excuse me, that have taken lithium at much lower rates of Alzheimer's. Interesting. Um, and now we have uh, research looking both at uh, animal studies and human studies, looking at low-dose lithium in a, in a resting decline in, in patients with Alzheimer's, and some of the longer studies actually uh, looking at uh, prevention. Hmm. Huh. So... Uh, can we, uh, Dr. Greenwood, can we go into some of the 
how, how did you want to to approach and address it? The, the history of Alzheimer's research, or where did you want to go with this? Well, I think to me, uh, what's most important that now is quite clear in the uh, neurological community and people studying Alzheimer's is that this disorder develops over 20 and 30 years. So there are a, a wide range of kind of environmental factors that we can modify during these 20 and 30 years. And when I put the book together, again, I was focused on lithium because it was so fascinating. But then as you start to understand other risk factors that are associated with Alzheimer's that have been clearly identified in the literature, but largely, I think, ignored because there's not a pharmaceutical behind it. And to me, the most dramatic um, is, is homocysteine, um, which is a byproduct of metabolism. It's a simple blood test, reflects deficiencies of, of B vitamins. And a international consensus group got together, putting together 10 years of research, and they published it. And, and I believe the, the risk, the increased risk is double uh, with elevated homocysteine. With elevated uh, homocysteine, so elevated homocysteine, so too much homocysteine. How do we, how do we get homocysteine into our system to begin with? Well, it's a byproduct of metabolism, and it only accumulates if you're deficient in vitamin B6, vitamin B12, or folate. So the the whole pathway of methylation can break down homocysteine to be a harmless. Um, amino acid, but if it's not broken down, homocysteine's been associated with everything from strokes, some research on depression, but the Alzheimer's research internationally um, agreed upon is, is just dramatic, okay, okay. which means if we tested every 40-year-old their level of homocysteine, we could almost half the rates of Alzheimer's. It is huge. That is wow. really interesting. Did you want to add something? No, or? that's fascinating, though. So we could figure that out. Yeah, and also, I mean, with vitamin B in particular, I mean, this is one of the things that we look for in folks with uh, alcohol use, right? Their 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 vitamin B uh, is low. It causes what's called a, a macro these large red blood cells, because um, the blood cells basically get swollen. So, is there a connection there? I mean. Should, should people be taking vitamin B vitamins every day? or? I mean, I think the, um, the simplest, if you can't afford the testing, would be absolutely a, a supplement that has B6, B12, and folate um, would be helpful. But, I, but what is most helpful, again, with that concept of individuality, everybody's different, and, you know, you check homocysteine, you know, 100 people... You're going to get 20 normals and some mildly elevated. And then you get very, very high levels. Those individuals are going to need much uh, higher amounts of the B vitamins to bring down homocysteine. So the goal is normalizing homocysteine. Interesting. And not, not to get all, you know, like medical stuff, but, but there's a, a thing called Deplin. I'm sure you've heard of Deplin, which <coughs> I think promotes vitamin B in the brain. Um, 
I, I just wonder whether we've been, because, you know, I do a lot of, of substance use work. And yes. I just wonder whether I've, we've been missing something here where we're, we know that we, you know, we use thiamine, we use other things when people are, are being detoxed and we see that they've got these, you know, poor vitamin B thing. But should we just be doing this with, with everyone as a, as a standard treatment to at least protect a brain if somebody is, is going to be using alcohol? I would think so. Certainly, um, you know, the Deplin, we, the genetic tests, we can look at um, how you metabolize folate, MTHFR genes. We can look at B12 levels, we can look at B6 levels, and, um, and homocysteine levels. And I, I would, uh, I test those in every patient that I see, and I think um, wow. major relapse and substance abuse, oftentimes in my experience, could be related to one, two, or three of those nutrients. Huh. It's it's uh, no pun intended. This is a lot to digest. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Um, but but where do we go with this? I mean, you know, Alzheimer's is on. I think everyone's radar these days. I mean, you know, we we have a lot of people who are not only suffering from it, but so many people that I know are afraid of it. Oh. They're worried that they've got a family history of Alzheimer's or they, they you know, forget something and, and part of what crops up is, oh my gosh, you know, is here this... It comes. Here it comes. It's the early it's signs. Here. Yeah. How, how do we help those folks so that they're not as worried? Because my, my concern is the more worried you are, the higher your cortisol levels are, the higher your cortisol levels, your stress hormones are going up, and I think you just... Nothing good happens there. Nothing really good happens there. Well, I mean, I, I think that the, you know, the Alzheimer's um, organizations and the scientists are focused on this 30-year kind of uh, modifier factor. So they're saying eat a Mediterranean diet, relax, and exercise. And, and those are all great things to do, but I'm quite convinced there are individuals that are genetically prone to have you know, low folate, low B12, elevated homocysteine. So I think if we take the science we currently have um, and start looking when individuals are in their 40s and 50s at some of these biomarkers, that we could relieve a lot of this anxiety. Hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've had early cognitive decline, uh, just memory issues, uh, you know, reversed, with, with B12, they had you know a, a almost undetectable vitamin B12 X cognition and memory, and if, if we didn't test the B12, it would have you know proceeded to more significant uh, brain or memory issues. Wow, and those are simple blood tests that you're you're testing people with to determine. These, these are simple blood tests covered by every insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, um, and the implications. You know, for you know the economics about cost for Alzheimer's is, is tremendous. So it, once again, preventative medicine is uh, is a lot less expensive than than not. I know, but the, the the problem with preventative medicine is it's hard to get research funding because right. you know you have to wait so long to to get any findings. Mm. So how do we how do we get this? 
out there. I mean, that's what the Dr. Joe Show is for. Dr. Joe Show exploring who we are and why we do what we do. How do we give people a simple thing to do? So one of the one of the things about the I am approach is there are four domains: the home domain, the social domain, the biological domain, and the I see how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because the four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. Uh, you don't need to change everything. You need a small change can have a big effect. So how do people begin doing this tomorrow in their diet? What small change can they make, and how do they how do they get this into their diet? Like I think the uh, you know the dietary um, recommendations we've been hearing for years in terms of you know we all know what healthy food is, and I and I think um, my mission is well is to try to help people see that um, eating a healthy diet for one individual might be very different than someone else, mm. and that's why some of this individual testing can really sort out um, who might need additional nutrient support and so my one thing that I, I hope we could do is to educate our primary care physicians and, and our, our patients and certainly our psychiatrists um, something simple like understanding um, how to look for homocysteine and, and treat it uh, the, the, the literature is kind of unequivocal and um Again, scholars around the world have put out this consensus paper um, that just identifies the, the dramatic changes in rates of Alzheimer's if we looked at homocysteine levels. And yet, could we just just do this for everyone? I mean, granted, there are going to be some people that are absolutely more at risk, and there are some people whose blood work is going to come back and show the results that indicate they're more at risk. But what about just for the average person? Is it going to hurt to have some dietary uh, lithium or or dietary you know changes just prophylactically? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, I think we, from all the nutrition research, you know, uh, it's, it's mixed results in terms of treating an illness. But I think in terms of prevention, you know, we, we talk about uh, things like. Um, the polyphenols in, in grapes and blueberries and green tea, uh, those are all very powerful uh, antioxidants. The brain that we have shown uh, supports um, cognition with studies. So yes, absolutely starting these things early as a preventative measure would make sense. We, we have the science to support it. It's not a, um, a theory. So every year when you go to your annual physical and you have bloods drawn, they're checking for certain cholesterols and such, would it be just as easy to add these homocysteines and B12 measurements to your to your report? Uh, it should be. You know, vitamin D, uh, B12, homocysteine, and this MTHFR gene, I believe based on my career, um, should be added once a year and again not everyone's going to be deficient and need supplements but those that do could make a tremendous change in the trajectory of a potential illness wow. 
Well, I, this this is definitely food for thought. Is this something that you can ask your primary physician to test for? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think over the years, uh, the primary care docs are kind of stopped arguing about vitamin D. Uh, they they stopped arguing about B12. Homocysteine used to be covered by every insurance company, but now as people started doing it more, some are um, saying no. Um, but I think many uh, primary care doctors would would be willing to do these tests. So what what do we do? Where do we go from here? Because. Like I said, so many people are so worried that they're going to get Alzheimer's. Can they? I mean, it, 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 it sounds almost remarkably simple, and not, not to you know, undermine this, to say, have some more grapes and blueberries. So it, it can't quite be that. Is, it that. is it that small a change that can help people like this? Yeah, I think that... Um it's unlikely that it is not that small a change, but it's cumulative from, uh, you know, stress and what stress does to the brain to all the other factors that we hear about every day in terms of lifestyle and diet and exercise. So there is this cumulative um, change and in terms of my uh, both research and clinical experience, I, I think... Um, both uh, connecting with people and optimism might be the most powerful uh, tools we have mm. uh, to shape brain uh, function. But I, I think for me, the real message is this concept of biochemical individuality, that we do have individual risk factors. Um, and the only thing right now we know how to look at is, is you know, uh, weighing somebody and, and obesity. But a few simple blood tests uh, provides very powerful markers um, that are amenable to simple inexpensive treatment so for folks who may already have Alzheimer's or who are showing signs of Alzheimer's um, what can we tell their families about this how, how do we use integrative medicine to help the families of these folks sure I mean I, I think that um, you know one of the early studies uh, gave lithium um, for someone with Alzheimer's for eight weeks and it didn't help um, and so people said lithium didn't help for Alzheimer's and then as they started looking at uh, 15 month trials of people at the beginning stages they showed uh, a rest of the memory decline so I think the message for any of these nutritional interventions is the earlier one can make an intervention the better so once Alzheimer's disease is present, I think there's a, such a significant um, uh, changes in the brain that it's much harder um, mm. to treatment. But at the early stages is where um, research has shown the most success with some of the nutrients we talked about and, and particularly lithium. But as you said earlier, I think the lithium effects are cumulative over time in terms of um, uh, reaching optimal levels. And, and I mean, I, I prescribe lithium. Um, are we looking at, at liquid lithium? I mean, lithium is, a, you know, 125 milligrams is the smallest dose I know of. Is there a smaller dose? Yeah, yeah you can buy lithium on Amazon. So, huh. you know, we use dosages of one, 
milligram to five milligrams. Wow. Um, you get in the health food store. Uh, do you know uh, Nasragami at Tufts? No, go ahead. Tell us about that person. Well, he's a well-known bipolar, very traditional psychiatrist who's been um, you know, researching lithium, and he doesn't believe necessarily in nutritional supplements, but he gives all his patients uh, small drops of, of liquid lithium uh, citrate, prescription yeah. lithium citrate, right. because he's um, so convinced of the literature of the cognitive benefits of low-dose lithium. And then, of course, it's the treatment for bipolar. I mean, it's sort of the gold standard for bipolar. What's what's the brain connection there? Is there any? Well, I mean, I think there it, it's uh, the the neurotransmitter changes are pretty well documented in terms of decreasing uh, dopamine and glutamate and increasing GABA and serotonin. Um, so that's probably part of the mechanisms. The Alzheimer's mechanisms, again, which is a long list of enzymatic changes, um, are probably uh, different. But it's certainly a powerful tool, as you know, for bipolar. And again, bipolar patients without medication have a higher rate of Alzheimer's. That is... Bipolar patients who take lithium have a lower rate of Alzheimer's than those that don't. That, pretty significant difference there. That is fascinating. Do you think that, that the incidence of Alzheimer's has increased, or is it just because we're noticing it more, is because people are living longer? I think it's uh, uh, both. I think we're noticing more people are living longer, but I think the literature is pointing to a clearly uh, increase in numbers that are really staggering in that we have no treatment. Um, and as you said, we're all frightened of it, and once you get it, we have no treatment, and there's you know usually death within seven years. So if we can think of a preventative strategy, it's not how our medical system works, but it's certainly how our bodies would like to function. Then some of these um, you know color polyphenols in our food, and some of the nutrients like lithium, and, and the other big one you know we write about we didn't talk about is that curcumin. Um, the spice, the turmeric spice, and that academic research is, is really exploding around the world as well for um, uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah, let's let's talk a bit more about that because it's it's a delightful spice and it certainly, you know, is, is very tasty in certain foods. Curcumin. Yeah, it's it's part of turmeric, and right? it's it, helping prevent Alzheimer's. Yes, if, if you Google it. You're probably going to get a thousand articles on curcumin and brain function. It's, it's a powerful antioxidant. And again, many enzymatic reactions that are all what we call neuroprotective uh, for the brain. And, um, uh, UCLA did a study, a uh, well controlled double blind study looking at um, curcumin. Um, in arresting Alzheimer's, and, and that was positive, and um, it's uh, very well researched and, and growing. On the other side, on the flip side of this, where you're saying uh, these are some things that can help prevent it, what are some things that the uh, research is showing is, is causing Alzheimer's? What could people avoid that might help them prevent it? 
Uh, we don't have a lot of great theories about, about cause. Everyone, you know, there's lots of different theories. I think um, certainly social isolation, lack of connections, or diet, uh, diabetes, as well as, you know, some of the heavy metals um, uh, have certainly been related to um, cognitive decline in Alzheimer's. But oftentimes, uh, people feel it's pretty random. There's not a, a long list of um, uh, things that we know can contribute to Alzheimer's. But, but you mentioned the part about relationships. There certainly is, is a lot of growing literature on how having meaningful relationships with people is, if not protective, it, it seems to slow things down, um, just being with other people, but in meaningful ways. What does that make you think of in terms of, you know, oxytocin, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, reminding someone of their value every day? You know, there's, there's some great literature about, you know, oxytocin versus cortisol levels and, and healing um, and, the, and the rate of healing. So is there, is there something in this where <coughs> we as, as social animals have an opportunity to help somebody else so that they feel more valuable, feel more connected? Is this a way perhaps to at least slow down or, or mute at least some of the risk of Alzheimer's? I certainly believe so. I think as you describe those uh, social connections, that uh, feeling uh, optimistic, um, those are all power effects on, on brain chemistry. And, and that certainly is what is going to be protective of you know, brain health. So the more we can connect and support each other, um, regardless of the hormonal and neurophysical changes, it's, it's biochemical phenomena that, that does support brain um, health. Yeah. And if you think about what, what is one of the things about Alzheimer's that, that is just so devastating, it's losing those connections. Oh. It's either being the person themselves or the person who comes into the room and you're not recognized, even though you've been with that person hundreds if not thousands of times and they don't recognize you. I mean, this is part of the sadness and part of the great fear of it. You know, we've got so much still to talk about, but we're, we're running out of time. One of the things about the I Am is you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dr. Greenblatt, what kind of influence are you hoping you can be on people? Yeah, I'm hoping that I can uh, kind of redefine how we look at... Uh, mental illness and, and, and Alzheimer's is one example in that uh, everyone is an individual and that uh, individually testing and targeting treatment could make a, a huge dent in um, our treatment of patients struggling with depression and Alzheimer's. Dr. Renaud, thank you so much for your time today. We'll be right back next week with the Dr. Joe Show. Thanks, Dr. Greenblatt. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. Go, 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 go.